So as we begin another year, it's not uncommon to hear people talk about change. A new year often brings new goals or what we might call resolutions. I visited the iTunes app store this week, and sure enough, Apple has devoted an entire section of the app store to help people with their resolutions. They call it New Year, New You. New Year, New You, and they've created a a virtual department store in which you can shop for that perfect app to help you reach this year's goals. I think it's great, by the way. Nothing wrong with that. So there's a department for journaling. That's often a common resolution. One for diet and healthy eating, one for meeting new people, one for getting in shape, one for learning new things, one for better money management, and still another department for increasing your overall productivity. I think it's cool that for a couple of bucks, or even free in some cases, you can download right to your smartphone in the form of an iTunes application, you can download help. Help to help you attain your goals. And the truth is, I will probably download one or two of these apps in the near future. I've made many resolutions in the past, and certainly some of you have done the same. I think it's good to set goals and work toward them. I think it's good to be intentional and purposeful and determined. And I think the beginning of a new year is a great time to think about new goals, whether they pertain to us as individuals or in the context of our varied relationships or in the respective contexts of home or school or work or even church. I think it's very good to number our days, right? The psalmist says, Lord, teach us to number our days. I think it's very good to number our days in the effort to make the very best use of the time that God grants us on this earth. And as I was thinking about these things this week, resolutions and goals and such, and what message to bring to you from the word this, on this first Sunday of the new year, God brought to my mind a verse that for me provided some clarity and perspective. I did not go looking for this verse. God gave it to me. Actually, I think... I think God spoke this verse to me in a dream. I don't remember anything about the dream, except that when I woke up, this verse was impressed upon me. And even as I went about my day, and I mentioned this to my wife, even as I went about my day and throughout the course of this week, this verse has been ever before me. 
The verse is 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. I don't want you thinking that I'm some spiritual guru to whom God frequently speaks through dreams. That's not the case. I don't want you thinking that I'm some weirdo who hears voices in the night. I don't think that's the case. But what I do want you to think, and what is very true, is that God has spoken to me through this verse this week, and I believe God has something to say to you today, this morning, through this verse. Not not only to you collectively, but to you individually. So we're going to give our attention actually to to verses 7 through 10 in a message I've titled Resolved to Grow in Godliness. And I want to consider these verses under five main headings and then I want to close with five brief suggestions on how to put these verses into practice. Here's the point. My attempt at a concise statement. God is worthy of our growth in godliness. And growth in godliness is worth training for. God is worthy of our growth in godliness and growth in godliness is worth training for. Five headings. I want us to consider the command given, the character desired, the comparison made, the conviction within, and the confidence to press on. First, the command given. Verse 7, our key verse, says, Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness. This is not a suggestion. This is a, an imperative, a command. The Apostle Paul is teaching Timothy in this section how to be a good servant of Jesus Christ. A good servant, notice verse 6 as we read, not just any servant. There is a difference. Paul wants Timothy to serve Christ well, and so he exhorts him to put aside that which keeps him from Christ, these silly myths, and to instead train himself for godliness. This word train means to exercise or to to discipline oneself. It can literally mean to practice naked or to strive with the body stripped. The picture is of an athlete stripping away anything and everything that holds him back and keeps him from uh, from reaching his goal. This word, given in the present tense, calls for ongoing, rigorous, strenuous, 
sacrificial training. It's the word gymnazo, spelled gymnazo, from which we derive the words gymnast or gymnastics or gymnasium. It all speaks to dedicated, disciplined training. Found it interesting that the Jewish historian Josephus also uses this word to describe the Roman soldier who went through the paces of what we call boot camp. This, the soldier's training was so thorough, or the, so the, the soldier's training was thorough, and the soldier himself was thoroughly dedicated to it. This verse and others like it, leaves, really leaves no wiggle room. It can be hard to swallow. Even this week, I was telling Sally, we sat down at the table, and I was telling her that the more I contemplated this verse, the more it served as a window into my own heart, the more I was faced with my own shortcomings. And I even admit this morning to some feelings of hypocrisy in preaching this verse because I'm fully aware that my training is not entirely where it needs to be. But the fact that Paul felt it necessary to exhort Timothy in this way. Timothy, his pastoral protege, should remind and encourage us that we all need reminders of this sort. And we all need encouraging along the way. So how's your training coming? How'd you dedicate yourself to godliness last year? And in what ways do you plan to train for godliness in 2015? Growth in godliness requires dedicated training. One does not grow in godliness without dedicating themselves to it. To some, this may sound legalistic as if placing too much emphasis on self-effort, but it isn't that. It isn't about earning your salvation but about working out your salvation. Paul is exhorting, calling, commanding Timothy to train for godliness in the Holy Spirit through the word of God is likewise exhorting, calling, commanding us to do the same. And second, notice the character desired. Godliness. Train yourself for godliness. This word is used 15 times in the New Testament, 10 times in the pastoral epistles, 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus, 8 times in 1st Timothy alone. Clearly, godliness was of vital importance to the Apostle Paul. Godliness speaks of a godly character. It refers to piety towards God, and therefore its focus is 
not on the outward really, but on the inward. It targets the inner person. It cultivates an inward love for God. When, when there is inward reverence and respect for God, outward behavior will naturally follow. The NIV says simply train yourself to be godly. Train yourself to be godly. Now, I consider many in this room to be godly people. I do. I know that many of you want to grow in godliness. You want, to be, you want a godly character. You want godliness. You genuinely desire godliness through and through in your innermost places. But listen, this instruction isn't reserved for just some of us. It applies to all of us, all who follow God, right? All who follow God should desire a godly character. To be godly is to be God-fearing. Godly people are God-centered people. Third, verse 8, see the comparison being made between physical training and training in godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Physical bodily training has value. It is good and wise to appropriately care for our bodies. We exercise good stewardship when we are attentive to things like diet and nutrition and exercise and necessary rest. Where we go wrong, however, is when we become so mindful of the physical so concerned, so consumed with the body to the neglect of the soul. The comparison between bodily training and training in godliness is a matter of short and long-term value. Physical training brings wonderful benefits, but those benefits are temporary at best, lasting only as long as you train, and even then only in this life. You can spend years, maybe you've experienced this, you can spend years getting and staying in shape, but as soon as you let up, you immediately start losing the gains you've made. When I was actively involved in competitive sports, I was in great shape. But I'm not as active anymore. And it shows. I can tell the difference. Even world-class athletes, when they retire, maybe you've seen pictures, you've seen interviews on TV, these world-class athletes who were so picturesque in their prime, when they retire and no longer train as they once did, even they begin to atrophy. But godliness or training in godliness is not like that. 
Godliness yields present and future returns. It benefits us in every way, it says, and holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. A godly character will reap reward in every sphere of your life. It will benefit you at home. It will benefit you at school. It will benefit you at work. It will benefit you in each of your relationships. It will benefit you in every single circumstance you face. I guarantee you this morning, the training in godliness that Roger and Jeannie and even David Dedman have gone through in the years to come is benefiting them right now as they face this circumstance that was completely unplanned. And not only will it benefit you now in every way, every day of your life, for the rest of your life, but a godly character also promises to benefit you when this life draws to close. If you know and trust God for salvation, if you follow Christ, if you have been born of the Spirit, you will be ushered into eternity to be with God. You will see Christ and you will be made like Him. Godliness, therefore, benefits us now and forevermore. Today and tomorrow and all the tomorrows after that. So many of our New Year's resolutions focus on bodily training. I have some. Abby and I want to start running together again. Andre and I are talking about cycling together. Actually, he's doing most of the talking. I want to be a bit more mindful of what I eat. I want to drink more water. But if we're going to make resolutions, let's not resolve to train the body only. Let's not resolve to go to the gym three days a week, for example, if we're not also willing to devote at least as much time to training in godliness. For while bodily training has some value, it does. Godliness has immeasurably more. Fourthly, In verse 9, Paul talks about personal conviction. Saying the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, referring to what he has just said in verses 7 and 8, urging Timothy to trust and accept this teaching. Don't let it go in one year and out the other. Don't just gloss over it, Timothy. It's as if he's pausing for a moment to just say, Timothy, did you hear what I just said? I I want you to trust this. And I want you to accept it. It's deserving of your 
full acceptance. Trust and acceptance go hand in hand. To truly trust in something, you have to accept it personally. You have to own it. There must be personal conviction and inward fortitude that kicks in when things become inconvenient or uncomfortable. So I just finished reading the book Unbroken. This amazingly true story of Louis Zamperini, the troubled boy who became an Olympic distance runner, then a World War II hero. Zamperini was a man of conviction, sometimes misdirected, sometimes misdirected, but he stood by what he believed. And one of his life's mottos, one of his life mottos, one taught to him by his older brother when they were younger, one that he found trustworthy and deserving of acceptance as he progressed through life was simply, if you can take it, you can make it. And I use this as an example to say that by owning this saying, this simple little motto, by owning this saying, Zamperini endured the rigors of Olympic training. And then as a B-24 bombardier, he persevered through combat and in an almost unbelievable ordeal of being lost at sea for 47 days only to be found by the Japanese to spend the next two and a half years in, uh, as a, in, in beyond brutal conditions as a prisoner of war. But he never gave up. And after the war, when God got hold of him at a 1949 Billy Graham crusade, that same spirit of conviction was graciously redeemed and Louis Zamperino spent the next 60 plus years of his Zamperini spent the next 60 plus years of his life training for godliness training of any kind is not easy or always convenient or always comfortable. And so it requires conviction. It requires us, in the case of training for godliness, it requires us to trust God and to trust the promises of God and to accept and own and apply them to our lives. And then finally, I want you to see the source of our confidence. Confidence as we press on in godliness. Verse 10, for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hopes set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe 
We won't spend much time on this part of this verse. It's not the main point, but Paul is not preaching universalism here or the belief that all people will be saved in the end. Instead, though admittedly this is difficult to interpret exactly, I think he's saying something like Christ is is sufficient to save all people, and he does save all who believe. Whatever the case, the clear point Paul is making in this verse is to remember the end goal. Remember the end goal. The goal of godliness is what? It's to know God. The goal of godliness is to know God more personally. It's to experience God more practically. It's to be with God presently each and every day. We must therefore train with an eye on the goal of knowing God. For our hope is set on the living God. Our confidence must lie with God, with God, our Savior. At the end of the day, this isn't bootstrap teaching. As if God only helps those who help themselves. This isn't about whipping yourself into shape or or slugging it out spiritually. No, this is about leaning on and longing for God who not only saves you, but also strengthens you and listens, supplies for you all the grace necessary to grow in godliness. Yes, there is toiling and striving. It is hard work, but the Bible assures us that it is God who works in you to will and to work according to his good pleasure, Philippians 2.13. It is God who equips you with everything good that you may do his will, Hebrews 13.21. It is God, we are God's workmanship, Ephesians 2.10, and by God's divine power, we have been granted, listen, all things that pertain to life and godliness. By God's divine power, we have been granted all things that pertain to life and godliness. That's 2 Timothy 1.3. And then I found as a cross-reference to our passage this morning, in the pastoral epistle of Titus, chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, I think, I think Paul is telling Titus something very, very similar to what he's telling Timothy here in this passage when he says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. You see, it is the grace of God that trains us. The grace of God is our coach. The grace of God is what spurs us on. 
The grace of God is what compels us to go the extra step. The grace of God is what reminds us of the benefit that lies before us. It's the grace of God that trains us to live godly lives. Of course, you play a part. You must apply yourself. You must own it for yourself. But through it all, our confidence lies in God and in His grace, not in self-reliance. It lies in our sure hope through Jesus Christ who came to save and is coming again to save to the uttermost. So we have the command given, the character desired, and the comparison made, and the conviction within, and the confidence to press on. So let's train. Let's train. Train for godliness. Let's hit the gym, spiritually speaking. I want to close with five very quick suggestions on how we might do just that. Uh, these, I think these are quick. Number one. Develop a training regimen. Develop a training regimen. I'm not a gym rat anymore. Used to be. Too much, actually. And I remember when I was just getting started, and then those of you who go to the gym, you, you, you kind of see this all the time, and it's actually kind of funny. Have you ever been to a gym without knowing what to do? And so there you are, and you're brand new, look really sharp, exercise apparel, and you're just kind of wandering about, from the cardio area to the weight machines, and then you peek in on the aerobics class, and then you kind of wander by. You're a little bit intimidated, but you kind of wander by the free weight area and in the swimming pool, and an hour or two passes, and truth be told, you haven't really done anything. Why? because you didn't really have a plan. And in a similar way, we need a spiritual training regimen. We need a workout routine. So consider, it's just an example, it's just some ideas to get you thinking along these lines. 
How will I grow in prayer this year? How? How will I grow in prayer this year? And when? When will I take time to pray? How will I grow in service this year? And where? Where specifically? Where will I serve? How will I grow in the sharing of my faith this year? And with whom will I share? Or how will I learn more of God's word this year? How will I learn more of God's word this year? And when, when will I take time to read and study and memorize it? I have in my, my Bible software program, it's so convenient. So I set up for the first time, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through the Bible chronologically. I've never done that chronologically. And so my Bible software, I can set the parameters, I can set what days of the week, times of the day, all this stuff. And so I know right now, and I'm happy to pass this out if anybody wants, but I know you can ask me any day, you can, you can point to any day, and, and I have a plan now, whether I stick to the plan, that's another issue, right? But I have a plan to read the Bible chronologically. I had to make that plan. And actually, in the making of that plan, I said, you know, because I want to do this outside, this is my own personal reading, not my pastoral reading. And so I said, I'm actually going to change it from one year to three years. I'm going to give myself three years to read through the Bible chronologically. Now that may sound wimpy to some of you. To me, it sounds realistic. And I've learned it's much better for me to bite, on, bite off what I can chew rather than choke on too much. So you need to ask yourself these how questions in the effort to develop a training program. One doesn't just train haphazardly. We can't expect training to just happen to us. No, we have to train. We have to be intentional in our training. Develop a training program. Uh, program. The others will go quicker. Number two, start where you are. Start where you are. Just like in athletics, not every training program works for every person at every stage. You know this, an Olympian trains differently than the rec leaguer. 
and the average rec leaguer trains differently than the t-baller. And so wherever you are on the training spectrum, whether beginner or intermediate or advanced, start there, start right there. It's better to start somewhere than to never start at all. Number three, don't let temporary setbacks deter you. Don't let temporary setbacks deter you. We've all, we have all, we have all, every single one of us have experienced, we've experienced those feelings of failure when we set out with a plan only to fizzle out soon thereafter. And too often, I'm guilty of this, too often we allow those setbacks to keep us from trying again. I'll never make it, we say, I can't do it. I'm just not disciplined enough. It doesn't work for me. These kind of things we tell ourselves and sadly, almost subconsciously, they become self-fulfilling. If you miss a day of training, spiritual training, just pick up with the next. Don't let temporary setbacks keep you from eternal gain. Don't let temporary setbacks keep you from eternal gain. Number four, find a workout partner. Accountability is key to any successful training. And please hear this, the church is essential to your growth in godliness. Your participation in the church is essential. It is a means of grace for you and for those around you. So look around and find a Christian brother or sister or a small group of them and train together. Find someone maybe a little further along than yourself and learn from them. Find someone at your same stage and encourage each other. Maybe find someone a step or two behind you and grow in godliness with them. But the more you train with someone, I think, the more likely you are to train. And then fifth and finally, strip away ungodliness. Strip away ungodliness. We cannot be godly and ungodly at the same time. Which is why the Bible has those wonderful passages where the Bible calls us to put off some behaviors and to put on others. Like the athlete who gives up lesser things to gain something better, the one who trains in godliness must learn to cast aside whatever detracts or distracts from cultivating a godly character. Strip away ungodliness. The most important thing about the Christian life is Christ. It's to follow Christ, which means loving Christ and looking to Christ so as to learn from Christ, 
and live in Christ. Strip away all ungodliness. God is worthy of our growth in godliness, and growth in godliness is worth training for. So develop a training regimen. Start where you are. Don't allow temporary setbacks to keep you from eternal gain. Find a workout partner and strip away all ungodliness. And through it all, look always to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who gave his life and lives today to grant new life each day with God now and forevermore. Amen. Father, thank you again for the time in your word. Thank you for the grace of God that serves as our coach. We need your help this morning and in days to come. We want to begin. Lord, what, what a great opportunity, actually, to begin another year with with this reminder to train for godliness. So Lord, would you, would you remind us, even as you've impressed this upon my heart this week, would you continue to do so? I don't want to forget this. I don't want it to go in one ear and out the other. And I'm sure that my brothers and sisters here feel the same. And so help us all, each one of us, to heed this command being given and to cultivate this character that is desired and to remember this comparison between bodily training and training in godliness and to, to develop this inward conviction that keeps us going and and always to remember the confidence we have to press on, confidence in you and in your grace, and the hope we have in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.